Welcome to the Time Machine Talk Show. Here's your host, Miss Ziegler. AP students, this is Miss Ziegler with the Time Machine Talk Show. This week, we are going to be looking at Christianity, specifically the chapter on the worlds of Christendom. It starts on page 463, and your first question asks you to describe Christianity in Asia, and then second question, describe Christianity in Africa. So that's pretty simple. I'm not going to go over those two with you. Basically, you're just going to be reading about the differences. I want you to pay close attention to differences and similarities and how they spread differently. For um, example, like what regions they spread to and how they interact with the Muslim faith if that faith was already existing in that region. So do that first and pause this while you're doing that and then you can come back and we're going to talk about question number three. Read through to page 469 and then come back to this podcast. I'll see you soon. Okay, so at this point, you should have read about Christianity in Asia and Africa. And one thing I wanted to share with you just real quick before we move on that the textbook didn't talk about. In many places in Africa, Christianity kind of mixed with the other religions that they had, which were mostly based on witchcraft and shamans. And currently, I am reading Born a Crime by Trevor Noah. If you know who he is, you know he's hilarious. He's a comedian with a late night show. And I just absolutely love his show. He just cracks me up. But his book is just as funny as he is in real life. And we'll definitely be reading some snippets of it when we get to apartheid. He grew up in South Africa during the time of apartheid. And it was actually illegal for him to exist. Because at the time, apartheid is basically segregation. And the South African government was just amazing at this. Like, they were a police state, basically. And they would go around and watch people and get people to tattle on each other. And if mixed babies were born, sometimes they were taken away from the mother. The mother was put in prison. Sometimes the fathers could be put in prison. And the baby would grow up in an orphanage. So it just was very dangerous for his mother to even have him. His story is absolutely amazing. And if you want to get access to the book, we do have it available on ebooks on Access 360 through the Houston Public Library. Let me know and I'll help you get on there. But I just wanted to share this little section with you. It's about how in South Africa, traditional mixed with Christianity. And I thought it was really interesting. He says, South Africa is a mix of old and the new, the ancient and the modern. The South African Christianity is a perfect example of this. We adopted the religion of our colonizers, but most people held on to the old ancestral ways too, just in case. In South Africa, faith in the Holy Trinity exists quite comfortably alongside belief in witchcraft, in casting spells and putting curses on one's enemies. I come from a country where people are more likely to visit shamans, traditional healers, and witch doctors than they are to visit doctors of Western medicine. 
I come from a country where people have been arrested and tried for witchcraft in a court of law. I'm not talking about the 1700s. I'm talking about five years ago. I remember a man being on trial for striking another person with lightning. That happens a lot in the homelands. There are no tall buildings, few tall trees, nothing between you and the sky, so people get hit by lightning all the time. And when someone gets killed by lightning, everyone knows it's because somebody used Mother Nature to take out a hit on him. So, if you had a beef with the guy who got killed, someone will accuse you of murder, and the police will come knocking. Uh, Mr. Noah, you've been accused of murder. You used witchcraft to kill David Kabuka by causing him to be struck by lightning. What's the evidence? The evidence is that David Kabuka got struck by lightning, and it wasn't even raining. And then you go to trial. The court is presided over by a judge. There is a docket. There is a prosecutor. Your defense attorney has to prove lack of motive, go through the crime scene forensics, present a staunch defense, and your attorney's argument can't be witchcraft isn't real. No, no, no. You would lose. So I just thought that was really interesting that even today, uh, they still hold on to these Christian and uh, witchcraft beliefs and kind of mix it together. Just a perfect example of syncretism and how it worked with Christianity in Africa. Along with question number five, which is, in what respects did Byzantium continue the patterns of the classical Roman Empire? In what ways did it diverge with those patterns? So let's look on page 469 where it says Byzantine Christendom building on the Roman past. Here we go. The contradiction of the Christian faith and Christian societies in Asia and Africa left Europe and Anatolia largely by default as the centers of Christendom. The initial expansion of Islam and the Arab Empire had quickly stripped away what had been the Middle Eastern and North African provinces of the Roman Empire and had brought Spain under Muslim control. But after the Mediterranean frontier between the Islamic and Christian worlds st stabilized somewhat in the early 18th century, the immediate threat of Muslim incursions into the homeland of Christendom lifted, although border conflicts persisted. It was within this space of relative security, unable or unavailable to most African and Asian Christian communities, that the diverging histories of the Byzantine Empire and Western Europe took shape. Unlike most empires, Byzantium had no clear starting point. Its own leaders, as well as its neighbors and enemies, viewed it as simply a continuum of the Roman Empire. Some historians date its beginning to 330 CE, when the Roman Empire or Emperor Constantine, who began to favor Christianity during his reign, established a new capital, Constantinople, on the site of an ancient Greek city called Byzantium. At the end of that century, the Roman Empire was formally divided into eastern and western halves, thus launching a division of Christendom that has lasted into the 21st century. Although the Western Roman Empire collapsed during the 5th century, the eastern half persisted for another thousand years, housing the ancient civilizations of Egypt, Greece, Syria, and Anatolia. The Eastern Roman Empire, or Byzantium, was far wealthier, more urbanized, and more cosmopolitan than its Western counterpart. It possessed a much more defensible capital in the heavily walled city of Constantinople, and it had a shorter frontier to guard. Byzantium also enjoyed access to the Black Sea and command of the Eastern Mediterranean. With a stronger army, navy, and merchant marine, as well as clever diplomacy, its leaders were able to deflect the Germanic and Hun invaders who had overwhelmed the Western Roman Empire. 
All right, so what I want you to do is take a quick minute to bullet point those things in that paragraph as to why Byzantium lasted longer than the Roman Empire, okay? Go ahead and do that real quick. Pause this podcast while you're doing that, and then come on back. All right, the next paragraph says, Much that was late Roman, its roads, taxation system, military structures, centralized administration, imperial court, laws, Christian church, persisted in the East for many centuries. Like Tang Dynasty China, seeking to restore the glory of the Han era, Byzantinium consciously sought to preserve the legacy of classical Greco-Roman civilization. Constantinople was to be a new Rome, and people referred to themselves as Romans. Fearing contamination by barbarian customs, emperors forbade the residents of Constantinople from wearing boots, trousers, clothing made from animal skins, and long hairstyles all of which were associated with Germanic peoples and insisted instead on Roman-style robes and sandals. But much changed as well over the centuries, marking the Byzantine Empire as the home of a distinctive civilization. So let's look back at your questions, and it says, in what respects did Byzantium continue the patterns of the classical Roman Empire, and in what ways did it diverge from these patterns? So... In those last couple of paragraphs, it talked about that. And we can say that, you know, they still wanted to have the same kind of clothing. They continued using the roads, the military structure, centralized administration, the laws, and Christian organization. You can add the details as to why they wanted to dress the way that they did, you know, to look different than barbarians. And some ways that it diverged is they're going to change the administrative system and the church is also going to change, which we'll get into some more details about that later. Okay, so in the next section, it talks about the Byzantine state and it will tell you a little bit more about how they diverged from the Roman Empire. So take a minute and read that. And then question number six is list the geographic barriers that mark the extent of the Byzantine Empire. See map on 471. So take a minute to read the Byzantine state on page 470 and 71. And then check out the map to look at the geographic barriers for question number six. Pause this podcast while you're doing that and I will see you soon. Okay, welcome back. For geographic barriers, you should have Mediterranean Sea, Red and Black Seas, the Danube River, and the Alps. Okay, your next question. Question number seven. How did Eastern Orthodox Christianity differ from Roman Catholicism, and what factors caused the split of Christianity? This is on page 472. And this just is going to take your knowledge of this a little bit more in depth. We talked about it a little bit last week, but now you'll have a little bit more to go by. So here we go. The Byzantine Church and Christian Divergence on page 472. Intimately tied to the state was the church, a relationship that became known as Caesar-Papism. Unlike Western Europe, where the Roman Catholic Church maintained some degree of independence from political authorities, in Byzantium, the emperor assumed something of the role of both Caesar as head of state and the pope as head of the church. Thus, he appointed the patriarch or leader of the Orthodox Church, sometimes made decisions about doctrine, called church councils into session, and generally treated the church as a government department. The empire and the church have a great unity and community, declared a 12th century patriarch. Indeed, they cannot be separated. 
A dense network of bishops and priests brought the message of the church to every corner of the empire, while numerous monasteries accommodated holy men whose piety, self-denial, and good works made them highly influential among both elite and ordinary people. Eastern Orthodox Christianity had a pervasive influence on every aspect of Byzantine life. Okay, so this is important, right? Because we know in Roman Catholicism there was still somewhat of a government as well. Here they're combined. So for the Eastern Orthodox, I would put that it ran the government as well. It's combined with the government. And it runs every aspect of Byzantine life. Moving on, it says, It legitimated the supreme and absolute rule of the emperor, for he was a God-anointed ruler, a reflection of the glory of God on earth. It also provided a cultural identity for the empire's subjects. Even more than being Roman, they were orthodox or right-thinking, Christians for whom the empire and the church were equally essential to achieving eternal salvation. Constantinople was filled with churches and the relics of numerous saints, and the churches were filled with icons, religious paintings of Jesus, Mary, and numerous saints, some of them artistic masterpieces that many believe conveyed divine presence to believers. So you can put that down as well, that it kind of became their identity, and that their churches were filled with icons. Complex theoretical issues about the Trinity, and especially about the relationship of God and Jesus, engaged the attention of ordinary people. One 4th century bishop complained, I wish to know the price of bread. One answers, The Father is greater than the Son. I inquire whether my bath is ready. One answers, The Son has been made out of nothing. Partisans of competing chariot racing teams, known as the Greens and the Blues, vigorously debated theoretical issues as well as the merits of their favorite drivers. In its early centuries and beyond, the Christian movement was rent by theological controversy and political division. Followers of Arius, an Egyptian priest, held that Jesus had been created by God the Father rather than living eternally with him. Nestorius, the 5th century bishop of Constantinople, argued that Mary had given birth only to the human Jesus, who then became the temple of God. This view, defined as heretical in the Western Christian world, predominated in a separate Persian church, which spread its views to India, China, and Arabia. So you can put down that doctrines conflicted sometimes. But the most lasting and deepest division within the Christian world occurred as Eastern Orthodoxy came to define itself against an emerging Latin Christianity centered on Papal Rome. Both had derived a course from, from the growth of Christianity in the Roman Empire and therefore had much in common. The teachings of Jesus, the Bible, the sacraments, a church hierarchy of patriarchs, bishops, and priests, a missionary impulse and intolerance towards other religions. But despite these shared features, there were some differences. So all those shared features you can put down in bullet points, like in a Venn diagram if you want to. These are both Roman and Eastern Orthodox. Okay, now we're going to go on with the differences. It says, despite these shared features, any sense of single widespread Christian community was increasingly replaced by an awareness of difference, competition, and outright hostility that even a common fear of Islam could not overcome. In part, this growing religious divergence reflected the political separation and rivalry between the Byzantine Empire and the emerging kingdoms of Western Europe. 
As the growth of Islam in the 7th century submerged earlier centers of Christianity in Middle East and North Africa, Constantinople and Rome alone remained as alternative hubs of the church. But they were now in different states that competed with each other for territory and for the right to claim the legacy of imperial Rome. Beyond such political differences were those of language and culture. Although Latin remained the language of the church and of elite communication in the West, it was abandoned in the Byzantine Empire in favor of Greek, which remained the basis of Byzantine education. So put down Latin on the Roman side and Greek on the Byzantinian side. More than in the West, Byzantine thinkers sought to formulate Christian doctrine in terms of Greek philosophical concepts. Differences in theology and church practices likewise widened the gulf between Orthodoxy and Catholicism. Despite agreement on fundamental doctrines, disagreement about the nature of the Trinity, the source of the Holy Spirit, original sin, and the relative importance of faith and reason gave rise to much controversy. So they definitely disagreed on some of the doctrines. So too, for a time, did the Byzantine efforts to prohibit the use of icons, popular painting of saints, and biblical scenes usually painted on wooden panels. Other more modest differences also occasioned multiple, uh, mutual misunderstanding and disdain. Priests in the West shaved, and after 1050 or so, were supposed to remain celibate, meaning not married, while those in Byzantine allowed their beards to grow long and were permitted to marry. Orthodox ritual called for using bread leavened with yeast in the communion, but Catholics used unleavened bread. Far more significant was the question of authority. Eastern Orthodox leaders sharply rejected the growing claims of Roman popes to be the sole and final authority of the Christians everywhere. So you can just put down that they disagreed on some of the doctrines as well as who should have authority. Should the pope have authority or should the patriarch have authority? The rift in the world of Christendom grew gradually from the 7th century on, punctuated by various efforts to bridge the mounting divide between the western and eastern branches of the church. A sign of the continuing deterioration occurred in 1054 when representatives of both churches mutually excommunicated each other. That means kicked each other out of the church. Declaring in effect that those in the opposing tradition were not true Christians. The Crusades launched in 1095 by the Catholic Pope against the forces of Islam made things worse. Western Crusaders passing through the Byzantine Empire on their way to the Middle East engaged in frequent conflict with local people, and thus deepened the distrust between them. When the Western viewpoint, Orthodox practices were blasphemous, even heretical. One Western observer of the Second Crusade noted that the Greeks were judged not to be Christians, and the French considered killing them a matter of no importance. During the Fourth Crusade in 1204, Western forces seized and looted Constantinople and ruled Byzantium for the next half-century. Their brutality only confirmed Byzantine views of their Roman Catholic despoilers as nothing more than barbarians. According to one Byzantine account, they sacked the sacred places and trampled on divine things. They tore children from their mothers and they defiled virgins in the holy chapels, fearing neither God's anger nor man's vengeance. After this, the rupture in the world of Christendom proved irreparable. All right, so some things that you need to know. Make sure you have written down that in the Byzantine emperor, church and government were not separated. That the Byzantine used Greek in church, whereas the Roman Catholic used Latin. 
They disagreed on numerous doctrines such as the Trinity and icons. Priests in the Byzantine were allowed to marry, whereas priests in the Roman were celibate. Those are probably the most important things that you need to know about that. You can also put down that the Crusades even caused this rift to grow bigger because as they were going through Constantinople on their way to Israel, they sacked it or they raided it. And that was not good because that made the Byzantine people feel like the Romans were barbarians. And also take note that the Byzantine world was heavy in trade, so they were very wealthy, which is another reason why when the Romans were going through, they might have wanted to destroy it and take what they wanted because they had a lot to take. And so perhaps they were using these differences as a justification to be able to do that to the Byzantine Empire as they went through on the Holy Crusades. Okay, your next question is about in what, uh, what factors cause the split of Christianity. All those things that we just wrote down are basically your factors for that. So just put that question beside those answers. And then in what ways is the Byzantine Empire linked to the wider world? You're going to get answers to that question in the next segment that talks about Byzantium and the world. So let's look at that section. It says, Beyond its tense relationship with Western Europe, the Byzantine Empire, located astride Europe and Asia, also interacted intensely with its other neighbors on a political and military level. Byzantium continued the long-term Roman struggle with the Persian Empire. That persisting conflict weakened both of them and was one factor in the remarkable success of Arab armies as they poured out of Arabia in the 7th century. Although Persia quickly became part of the Islamic world, Byzantium held out, even as it lost considerable territory to the Arabs. A Byzantine military innovation known as Greek fire, a potent and flammable combination of oil, sulfur, and lime that was launched from bronze tubes, helped to hold off the Arabs. It operated something like a flamethrower and subsequently passed into Arab and Chinese arsenals as well. Byzantium's ability to defend its core regions delayed from, for many centuries the Islamic advance into southeastern Europe, which finally occurred at the hands of the Turkish Ottoman Empire in the 15th and 16th century. Economically, the Byzantine Empire was a central player in the long-distance trade of Eurasia, Eurasia, which commercial links to Western Europe, Russia, Central Asia, the Islamic world, and China. Its gold coin, the Byzant, was widely used currency in the Mediterranean basin for more than 500 years, and wearing such coins as pendants was a high-status symbol in the less developed kingdoms of Western Europe. The luxurious products of Byzantine craftsmen, jewelry, gemstones, silver, and goldwork, linen and woolen textiles, purple dyes, were much in demand. Its silk industry, based on Chinese technology, supplied much of the Mediterranean basin with this precious fabric. The cultural influence of Byzantium was likewise significant, preserving much of ancient Greek learning. The Byzantine Empire transmitted this classical heritage to the Islamic world as well as the Christian West. In both places, it had an immensely stimulating impact among scientists, philosophers, theologians, and other intellectuals. Some saw it as an aid to faith and to an understanding of the world, while others feared it as impious and distracting. 
Byzantine religious culture also spread widely among Slavic-speaking people in the Balkans and Russia. As lands to the south and the east were overtaken by Islam, Byzantium looked to the north. By the early 11th century, steady military pressure had brought many of the Balkan Slavic peoples, especially the Bulgars, under Byzantine control. Christianity and literacy accompanied this Byzantine offensive already in the 9th century. Two Byzantine missionaries, Cyril and Methodius, had developed an alphabet based on Greek letters with which Slavic languages could be written. This Cyrillic script made it possible to translate the Bible and other religious literature into these languages and greatly aided the process of conversion. So, in what ways is it linked to the modern, or to the wider world? You definitely need to put something in there about how politically and militarily it continued the struggle with the Persian Empire and the Arabs there. You can put down economically it played a part in trade, linking Western Europe with Russia and Central Asia, the Islamic world, and China. And you can put down that culturally it preserved Greek learning. It transmitted classic heritage of the Islamic world and the Christian world. And it spread religion to the Slavic-speaking peoples. You could also put something down about technology, about how um, the technology spread to other worlds as well. Now your next question says, describe an example of an interregional conflict that encouraged technological and cultural transfers. So for that, you could put down the Crusades and you could talk about the Crusades, or you could also put down the conflict between Byzantium and the Persians and how the flamethrowers were spread. It says that it went all the way to China even and was added to China's arsenals. So that would be for that question. And then question number 11 says, how did links to the Byzantium transform the new civilization of Kiev Ruse? That's on page 475, the conversion of Russia. And I'm gonna let you go ahead and read that on your own and then answer that question. But make sure that you pay close attention to architecture and to how their religion changed and things like that as you are reading that section. And that wraps up this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions, as always, you can email me at missjziggler at gmail.com and I will get back to you. Thank you so much.